Could be seated. There's maybe all of us, hopefully all of us, have one of those friends that just walks to a totally different drum and does it great. You know what I'm talking about? Usually this person, you don't even know what their real name is because they develop a nickname along the way somewhere. You, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I, I tried to be that guy in college. I tried to give myself a nickname and it wouldn't stick. And so I figured I just couldn't walk against the grain enough. You know, there was, I tried my nickname that I was going to give myself was Big Trout and it just didn't, didn't stick. And so, but I had a friend and, and he was, he was so different than, than, than the, the crew we ran with. And, and it was, he was funny, he was, he was amazing, and nobody ever expected him to walk in the same way that the rest of us did. Do you know what I'm talking about here? You've got friends like that. Maybe you're that friend. That's great. And if you are, rock it, okay? It's good. It's, it's awesome. And here... There we go. All right. Thank you. We're going to be in, in John chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 7, uh, going through uh, verses 11 through, through 35. And a whole lot of this is going to deal with John the Baptist. When I read the story of John the Baptist, that's the type of person that I think of. Uh, we'll start uh, what, what Lane read here just a second ago in verses 11 through 17. We're going to just, I'm going to note this story and we're going to skip over and we're going to keep going. But what happens here is Jesus raises a widow's son. As just after he has had this conversation we, we talked about last week with the centurion, this Gentile who was there that had more faith than the people that should have had all the faith in the world. And so Jesus has this opportunity, and you see there's something that you notice. If you go back and you read, Elijah and Elisha, they raise a widow's son and also uh, heals Naaman, this Gentile military commander. And so when you get to the book of Luke, you see Jesus doing the same things as these great prophets in the Old Testament doing, healing Someone who is who worked for the Gentile commander. You have Jesus healing this widow's son. Uh, there was uh, in this time period. Just imagine how difficult it would be if you were a widow. You didn't have social security. You didn't have a pension plan. You didn't have anything like that. Your husband has passed away. You have one son, and that son passes away. Just imagine how tough life is going to be going forward. And Jesus has compassion on her. He heals this widow's son. He gets up and he and he gets off the 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 pier that they were um, holding him on. And what an amazing, powerful story there. Okay, there's going to be a lot more healing stories that we'll get to in the life of Jesus here, and we, so we won't camp on this one. But I want to spend some time in this next section here, verses 11 through, or excuse me, 18 through 35, and I'll read parts of it and we'll go along. But John the Baptist is, is a phenomenal guy, and we've seen him already in the book of Luke, is he is one that is preparing the way for the Lord. He goes out... In the desert, he dresses different than everybody else. He speaks differently than everybody else. And according to how the social customs should have worked at the day, if someone would grown up in the synagogue and said, if you want to influence people, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to look like. And John broke every one of those rules and had people coming to him from all over the place, out into the wilderness, out in the desert, because they wanted to hear what he had to say. Because his message was so powerful. And so we see John again here, and I'll start reading in verse 18. It says, John's disciples told him about all these things. And so Jesus is doing all these miracles. And his disciples go and tell him, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is going to come or should we expect someone else? Okay, now, Luke doesn't tell us this, but Matthew chapter 11, if you look at this story, Matthew tells us that John the Baptist is in prison at this point in time when he's, when he's asking. So John just can't go out and ask Jesus himself. 
But when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So we replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so this, what's, if we stop and slow down and think about what happened here, so John the Baptist, who was ordained by God to, to break trail for Jesus, to provide this great example, and to call people around and say, there is one coming that's greater than me. Get ready, because he's awesome. This is going to be, this is going to be fantastic. And John is the one that does that. He has all these people coming into the desert to listen to his message. The Gospels tell us that he recognized Jesus. He, he, he references Jesus, says this is the one that is going to come. When Jesus is baptized, this, the Holy Spirit comes down on him, and John is there. John witnesses all of this. But you notice here at this point in time, towards the end of his life, because he's executed not long after this, he's sitting there in jail, and he sends two of his disciples to say, can you just go make sure that Jesus is really the one that is supposed to come or are we supposed to wait for somebody else? Now, we can look at that and think, what on earth is wrong with John, okay? He should have known better than this. He should have had greater faith than this, shouldn't he? Because his whole purpose of life was to prepare the way for Jesus. He introduced Jesus to the world, and now he's trying to figure out if Jesus is really this Messiah that's going to come. And we could be really, really critical with John, but you notice what Jesus does here. And I think any one of us, if we're sitting in a place where we have too much time to think, sometimes our mind goes places it shouldn't. Sometimes we lack faith. Sometimes we can, uh, we can find ourselves wrestling in ways that we wouldn't normally. And so John, right here, towards the end of his life, is doubting a little bit, or wrestling, at least we can say that, about who this Jesus really is. Is he really this Messiah? And you notice what Jesus does. What Jesus doesn't do, I think, is noteworthy. Jesus doesn't say, oh, come on, John, come on. Should we have picked somebody else to do this? This is terrible. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, go tell John this. The sick are being healed. Sins are being forgiven. And he just goes and he, and he shares some confirmation. And you notice what he says about John here. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And what he's doing there is he's not being critical of John. He understands. And he's going to understand more than anybody by the time his life is, is over on this earth how difficult things can be when you feel like everybody has abandoned you and you're just, you, you just want to make sure. Jesus doesn't get hard on John. He just says, it's okay. It's all right. Blessed is he who doesn't fall away on account of me. John, hang in there, bud. Look at all the good things that are happening. I think that's a pretty good message. There's, we'll get to this more in a bit. But John, this is, heroes never look like heroes at the moment, okay? If you think about people in, that you hold up as, as being honorable, that have done great things, oftentimes the great things that they are known for at the time, they wouldn't have chosen to go through those great things or do those great things. Okay? There's movie after movie after movie about that. There's all the heroes in our society are people that have overcome great odds. And that's what John is doing right now. He is overcoming all sorts of, of maybe his own shortcomings. And, just, and Jesus encourages him. says, it's good, John. Look. Look what's going on around. This is exactly what the prophets talked about. This is what we talked about was going to happen. I'm him. I'm him. It's all good. 
Just be strong. We continue on here is that Jesus, as John's disciples take off, and they they go back and, and give John the good news. Look at verse 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he said, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so John's ministry, Jesus talks about it here, and he says, yeah, he's not well-dressed or high class. Okay, we all know that. That's not John. But that's not why you went out into the desert. And he uses the example here of a reed swayed by the wind. And I saw, I saw someone uh, do this once, and it stuck in my head, so hopefully it's helpful for you. But if you contrast this with what Isaiah talks about, oaks of righteousness, an oak that stands there that is immovable, that, that never can be taken down by just a, a breeze or, or something like that. But how many of you have ever been to a lake and there's, there's reeds there, like snake grass, sometimes we call it? You notice when the wind comes up, what they do? They go this way, they go that way, they go this way, they go that way. And it's kind of like people, what people didn't come out in the desert to see is John the Baptist standing there, like this reed that goes back and forth, and they say, what are you going to preach about, John? He says, I don't know, what do you want me to preach about? I'll preach about whatever you want. You You see what I mean? Is that there was people out there in Jesus' day that would say whatever people wanted to hear in order to get a crowd to be popular. And John did the opposite. John was speaking the truth of God in a way that brought people around because it wasn't being swayed by whatever was, was popular at any given moment. John was, was great. He was a prophet. And what John is, is Jesus' words here, John is courageous, John is faithful, and he is great in God's eyes, and that's what matters. Because, yeah, John didn't fit the, the stereotype. In fact, you look at this guy's hair. I wish my hair could do that. Yeah, I wish I could pull that off. Too late for me. Not happening. But John was not the well-dressed or high class, but he was much, much better because he had something deep down inside, again, that was not what society expected, but it was courageous, faithful, and it was great in God's eyes. And Jesus he encourages and compliments him because of that. We continue on in the next verses here. Let's look uh, down through uh, verse uh, 29. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because he had, they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like the children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe and you did not dance. We sang the dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither... Wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. So here you have Jesus saying, John had a tremendous impact. His message absolutely convicted people, and you see that. And some repented, and some resisted. And it's interesting to note here that John's baptism, and it, it says this, Luke shares, is those who rejected God's plan for their life, did so because they, didn't, they weren't baptized. But those who were submitted to God in baptism, they, they saw God's plan for their life. They saw what, what John's message was. 
But the reality is this, is that whenever God's message convicts us, is that we have this, this choice, is, is that we can repent and we can follow God or we can reject it and we can re- resist it. And so what happens, and there's some analogies that he uses here, is that John's impact is that re- resistant people criticize. Now he talks about how uh, we, we, this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace. We played the flute and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you, and you didn't you didn't cry. The idea is, you know, we played wedding, we played funeral, and you didn't want to play with whatever we were doing. And so we're just going to sit here and pout. And you notice what he says here. I think it's it's noteworthy. Is John didn't eat and drink enough, and you guys said that he's possessed by a demon. Jesus ate and drank too much, and he's a glutton, drunkard, and friend of sinners, okay? And this is not to say that Jesus was a drunkard. That's not it. That's just what he was accused of. Okay? And you, but you see what Jesus is getting at here, is that John the Baptist didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. No matter what I do or John the Baptist does, it's not going to be okay with you because you're in a place where all you're doing and all you're thinking about is criticizing. And that is not going to get you anywhere spiritual. It's not going to take you to any good place at all. And so Jesus tells them, them that. Hey, this is, again, the Sermon on the, on the Plain, going around being super critical of others. Jesus is still carrying those concepts forward and saying, that is not how you approach God. It's not how you approach others. And so here's some lessons. Let's talk about some lessons from John the Baptist, okay? Number one, even great people of faith struggle, okay? So let's just understand that that's a reality in that, uh, we see that with John. We see it with Peter. Uh, Peter had an amazing vision that God showed him that Gentiles can come into the kingdom of God without following the law or aspects of the law. Peter understood that. He had been told that by Jesus. He had a vision. But even towards much later in his life, Peter finds himself in situations, Galatians chapter 2, where he really, really struggles with interacting with Gentiles. It's still hard for him. I would call Peter a mature, faithful person, one who is led by the Spirit of God. But the reality is, is he still had some hang-ups that he was working through, and sometimes those created fear, they created doubt in his own mind. And so the reality is, for all of us, hope, and I, we don't share this this morning as a license that, oh, good, fine, I can struggle, you know, I'm, I'm not going to work on myself. That's not the point at all. But the reality is, is that when we look at people of great faith in Scripture, they struggled. Okay, they struggled, they wrestled, and we see that with John the Baptist here. And so when we see each other struggling, we see each other wrestling, then the response that Jesus gave, do you see what it was? Is he encouraged and called John the Baptist higher. And that's what God asks of us. Here's another one. Uh, let God define success. Boy, um, <laughs> there is a, John the Baptist, by, by the definition of his world and his day, would not have been successful. He was out in the wilderness, he, he had strange clothes, he had all of that. But he fulfilled God's plan for his life. And Jesus says, no one is greater than him, uh, but someone who's part of the kingdom of God is greater than all of that. Okay? It's better to be in God's kingdom than it is to be great. But in, in God's eyes, he defines success differently than us. I was reminded of this. Um, how many of you have ever watched the um, hunting show Meat Eater? Okay. Yeah, some of us have watched that. Okay, I watched an episode. Luke and I were watching some last night, and I watched an episode where the um, uh, the the 
I don't remember his name. I, some of you will remember, but I don't remember his name offhand. But he, the, the, the main character, the, his show, he goes way down into this area, way down in Bolivia, in, way back in the boonies, several days canoe ride up into this river, and they go up fishing. And, and something that, and this man is, I can pick up, he's not a, a man of faith at all that I'm aware of. But what he picked up is, is that here's people that are so far away from Western civilization that have hardly anything, and they're some of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. And maybe all the stuff that I get and all the way that I go about life does not uh, create happiness in me, and maybe happiness comes from somewhere else. And I'm, I'm listening to this guy talk about it, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, God's been saying that for thousands of years, hasn't he? He's trying to teach us that. He's trying to tell us that all sorts of things in life we can use to define success, how much stuff we have, what, are, what are, our career looks like, all that sort of thing. And God's definition of success is totally different. And we can look like an absolute failure in the eyes of our family and our neighbors and be an absolute total success in God's eyes. You see it, how it can happen? And so the, the big thing for us is that for all of us as individuals, as families, as a church, to day by day look to define success the way that God would want us to define success. It's being faithful day in, day out, being transformed by the Spirit of God to look more like what Jesus and God wants us to be. That's the great success. Everything else is, is details beyond that. Here's another great lesson that I picked up from this. is God wants us to be more courageous and faithful than polished and pretty. Okay, there is a, a quote that I, I ran across here, and I'll show it to you here in just a minute. But I want to I do something. I want to see if this works. I'm going to try something here. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Okay, I'm going to give you guys, if you've been a part of the church here any length of time, one guess to tell me whose this is. Willa Jean, that's right, one guess. Where's Willa Jean at? There she is. All right, Willa Jean, New Year's Eve party. You're here. Some of us were playing games, and uh, Willa Jean was wearing this. And, and I said, man, Willa Jean, that's nice. I should preach in that. And she said, here you go. And I said, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. No. So it could, I mean, this is neat. It's, I always enjoy, you know, anyway. Okay, it's not me, all right? Fine, it's not me. What's that? It clashes with the plaid. That's the problem, isn't it? It clashes with the plaid. That's, that's the issue, okay? So if I got up here in a, in a vest like this and had pants to match, and, and I said all sorts of stuff, you know, what, it didn't matter what I said, people came back every week saying, that guy's got the coolest vest. I'm coming back because that vest is awesome. I think we'd have some questions to ask ourselves. How many of you know who Charles Spurgeon is? An interesting guy if you read about him. He was a minister that was in, in London, and he, was, uh, he really ran against the grain of his time in the 1880s. And there was a, um, he spoke in a way that, that brought people to a place where they, they listened to spiritual words that they would not have listened to from, from others. And England was, was really wrestling in a time of, of spiritual doubt. But here's something that I quote that I appreciate from him. He says, Don't go where it is all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Those things will neither, neither fill anybody's stomach nor feed his soul. Go where the gospel is preached, the gospel that really feeds your soul, and go often. Good stuff, isn't it? This is a great quote. Is that we, I can get up and, and look pretty. All of us can march around through life looking like everything's in place, everything's pretty, all of that's good. Do you want me to leave it on or take 
I'll take it off. Okay. Mrs. Beth says, take it off. It's off. There it is. And so we can, we can look great on the outside, isn't it? But we miss what really transforms us. And that's really the message of John the Baptist, is John spoke in a way that convicted and changed people's hearts, and they would go from wherever in order to hear his message. Here's a couple more. We face uh, criticism in life. We will. How many of you have ever faced criticism in life? Yeah, it happens. Okay. Now, sometimes it's not fair. A lot of times it is, I've found for myself. I ran across a, an article that just gives a taste. It's a, there's actually a, a podcast that this, this guy does twice a week. And it uh, deals with church leadership and just how to, how to try to stay on a good path, that sort of thing. But this particular one talked about how to deal with criticisms. And it's written, directed to, to, to church leaders specifically, but I think it's, it's good for all of us. So I won't read all of it, but it's just a few points here. But he says, here's some things that I've found for myself and that when I face criticism that help me walk through that in a way that is good. Number one, I deserve criticisms. I need to get that through my head. My first reaction to criticism is usually defensiveness. I want to show why I am right and why the critic is wrong. But the truth of the matter is that I am wrong quite often. I am truly a sinner who has fallen short of God's glory. Who am I to say I don't deserve those criticisms? Okay? Sometimes that's, that's very important. And uh, when, when criticisms come our direction, that, that we stop and we listen. We demonstrate humility that way. Okay, number two is no one made me accept this position of leadership. All right, this is, now, listen, this is as important. If you lead, you will be criticized. If you don't want to be criticized, don't lead. Okay, that's pretty specific there. It's easy to get excited about the fun aspects of leadership, but it comes with struggles, pain, and criticism. Leadership is not always easy and fun. And so that is whether, whether you're in a, a place of, of officially recognized church leadership or not, this is true for all of us. Because we have people in our lives that look to us for spiritual guidance. Every one of us does, and a spiritual example. And so for us, there is, that's a place that we found ourselves in, and we can expect and that there will be criticism that comes at times. Number three, I need to pray for my critics. I don't know what's taking place in the lives of most of my critics. I don't know their own hurts and struggles. I need to look out for the interests of others. Others in this verse includes those who criticize me. And it references Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Remember, Jesus said not too long ago in the Sermon on the Plain, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a, it's a good message for us to remember. Number four, most criticisms last for a brief season. I should do a better job keeping the long-term perspective. I can remember too many times when I acted very negatively to criticisms only to forget about them in a week. Even though some of the criticisms become part of the indelible world of blogs and social media, most are forgotten quickly. And that's the reality is that's part of, again, patience, long-suffering, is knowing that what I am suffering through right now will not last forever, and I need to just be patient and walk through it in a way that's honorable and godly. Number five, I need to have a better perspective of the cross. There is no trial, struggle, or criticism that comes close to the pain of the cross. And, uh, and that's a, a good message for all of us to remember there, is that there, is, there are criticisms that come. Sometimes they are completely unfounded. And if they are, we're called still to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But oftentimes, criticisms that come our direction, there's some great things to learn from them. And so let's, um, let's be people that are, that are courageous in accepting that. And last here is that, notice where Jesus says um, in verse 35, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. 
And I look at that verse and I reflect on it this, this week. And what does that mean? What is this children of, of wisdom? What is, what is he talking about that? And I believe the idea that Jesus really wants to get across and really wants us to understand in all this is that there are times, like John the Baptist is facing, where things are difficult, where things are frustrating, where we doubt, where we feel like we, we should act better than we do, or we should have greater faith than we do. And children of wisdom are those who are able to see through that for ourselves and say, all right, this is just a time that is difficult. This is a time that, uh, uh, that, that will pass. But what God calls for me to do is to see through all the noise, see through all the, the distractions that are there, and just be faithful and find ways to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And when we live like that, we find that uh, we understand what, what Jesus is talking about here. These children of wisdom, children of righteousness, that walk day in, day out, no matter what way the wind is blowing, no matter what we may be facing in any point in time, and maybe we're having way too much time to sit by ourselves like John is at this point in time. But we know that we've got a God that is pulling for us, that is walking beside us in everything, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are doing the same. And so in those times, we demonstrate great wisdom when we can love our enemies, we can pray for those who persecute us, and we can rise from, from our times of shortcomings and grow and be better for it. And man, we all do that day in, day out. Hang on for the ride. God's doing great stuff as we live and continue to live the abundant life of God. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, the elders are waiting in the back to pray with you. And uh, let's stand and sing together. through the song a total of three times. First time through is a little bit different, but enjoy it. <clears throat> you are holy and you are mighty and you are worthy worthy of praise 